0: Welcome to Uncommon Knowledge. I'm Peter Robinson. On the program today, an interview we taped in the Eisenhower Executive Office Building, the presidential complex right across the street from the west wing of the White House. Michael Richard Pence is a man of the heartland born and bred. He grew up in Columbus, Indiana. He went to college at Hanover College in Hanover, Indiana, and received his law degree from Indiana University. After representing Indiana in the House of Representatives from 2001 to 2013, he became the 50th governor of Indiana. The successor of figures such as John Adams, our first vice president, and Thomas Jefferson, our second vice president, and George H.W. Bush, our 43rd vice president. Mike Pence is now the 48th vice president of the United States. Mr. Vice President, thank you for making the time to join us.
1: Thank you, Peter. Good to see you. Good to see you. And welcome to the White House, everybody.
0: (laughs) On a 60 Minutes interview this very week, the program played a clip of now-Democratic frontrunner Senator Bernie Sanders speaking about Fidel Castro in the 1980s.
1: Here he is explaining why the Cuban people didn't rise up and help the U.S. overthrow Cuban leader Fidel Castro. He educated the kids, gave them
0: health care, totally transformed a society. We're very opposed to the authoritarian nature of Cuba. But, you know, you got, it's unfair to simply say everything is bad. You know, when Fidel Castro came into office, you know what he did? He had a massive literacy program. Mr. Vice President, does that strike you as an adequate answer?
1: Bernie Sanders is wrong about so many things. (laughs) He's also wrong about Cuba. It is remarkable to think that uh, uh, now, for decades, we have seen a socialist dictatorship oppressing the people of Cuba, literally political prisoners as we speak, chained to walls in Cuba. Hundreds of thousands have fled the tyranny in Cuba. Um, and for Bernie Sanders to tout a literacy program uh, in the midst of uh, the tyranny of Cuba is just uh, truly remarkable. But I, I think, it, I, I think it, it belies the fact that this coming election is going to be a choice between two worldviews. I mean, the Democratic front-runner today believes in socialism, in a command and control economy. But I couldn't be more proud to be vice president of the United States to a president who believes in freedom and free markets. And we're going to make this election a choice between freedom and socialism. And I have every confidence the American people will choose freedom once again.
0: Senator Sanders continued. We're back with 60 Minutes now. He went on to admit, that Cuba does have political prisoners today, but then he said, and I'm going to quote him again, he took a couple of pops at your boss. Unlike Donald Trump, let's be clear, you want to, I do not think that Kim Jong-un is a good friend. I don't trade love letters with a murdering dictator. Vladimir Putin, not a great friend of mine. Mr. Vice President, how do you respond to that?
1: You know, this is a president who has taken the world as we found it. The truth is, when we came into office, uh, the last administration uh, had essentially neglected and ignored uh, the rising threat of a nuclear North Korea. And this president sought to engage, and has engaged, historic summits with Kim Jong-un. And now we are several years into no more missile tests, no more nuclear testing. And we'll continue to stand strong until we achieve the complete and verifiable denuclearization of North Korea. Uh, but, uh, but the president's willingness to engage uh, leaders around the world is is more a reflection of of his absolute commitment to put the safety and security of the American people first. Uh, and, and to suggest otherwise, to suggest otherwise is really a great disservice um, and and at minimum a great misunderstanding. Uh, of President Trump's vision. When it comes to Russia, there's, you know, there's, been, no, there's no, been no president in, in my memory that's been tougher on Russia than President Donald Trump. Even in the last week, we imposed additional sanctions uh, on a Russian oil trading firm because of our absolute commitment to see freedom and liberty restored in Venezuela, another country uh, in our hemisphere beset by a socialist dictatorship that's utterly impoverished their nation every bit as much as the dictatorship and socialism have impoverished Cuba. Uh, But the president imposed additional sanctions on Russia uh, to make it clear that we're going to continue to isolate Venezuela economically and diplomatically until their, as we say, libertad uh, is restored. And so uh, what Bernie Sanders is and I expect we'll continue to hear from many of the Democrat uh, candidates, um, simply misapprehends the president's philosophy of America first. This is a president who the American people know, and tens of millions of Americans that have rallied to our cause and continue to rally to our cause, understand, is this is a president who will always put America first, America's economies first, America's workers first, America's security first. But in so doing, then we will engage the world and look for opportunities to advance the security and the prosperity of the American people. You just mentioned Venezuela. The United States has recognized
0: the opposition leader, Juan Guaido, as the legitimate president. And during the State of the Union address, President Trump seated Mr. Guaido in the chamber and had him stand and receive applause. And the president said this about Nicolas Maduro, the Inheritor or successor of Hugo Chavez, I'm quoting President Trump in the State of the Union. Maduro is an illegitimate ruler, a tyrant who brutalizes his people, but Maduro's grip on tyranny will be smashed and broken. How? How? What do we do to help
1: Venezuela? Well, from early in this administration, uh, President Trump made it clear that we were simply not going to allow what was the second most prosperous nation in our hemisphere to continue to collapse uh, into dictatorship and tyranny and poverty. Uh, Literally five million people have fled Venezuela in the wake of uh, Maduro's tyranny and deprivation. It it really is extraordinary to think, uh, once again, the Democratic Party today is on the verge of nominating uh, as their party standard-bearer as someone who embraces the economic philosophy that has impoverished nations for generations and is, as we speak, um, robbing the prosperity and the liberty of people in our own hemisphere in Venezuela and in Cuba. Um, But those are the facts. Now, What the president did in inviting uh, President Juan Guaido to the State of the Union was reaffirm our commitment under the president's leadership. The United States has led a coalition of now some 60 nations who have recognized Juan Guaido as the legitimate president of Venezuela, uh, we will continue to bring diplomatic pressure to bear, we will continue to bring economic uh, pressure to bear. But as the president has said many times, uh, all options are on the table. We're simply not going to stand idly by uh, while Venezuela continues to collapse uh, in, in uh, not only poverty and, and tyranny, but also becomes uh, frankly, becomes a nation-state that's increasingly uh, driven, not just by outside interests far afield of our hemisphere, but also by, uh, uh, by narcotic interests and drug traffickers that are increasingly using Venezuela as a, as a way station for their nefarious trade. Uh, so uh, w- w- we sent a very clear message about who we stand with in Venezuela. Uh, we're supporting nations around the region. We're going to continue to bring pressure to bear. But President Trump and I both believe that uh, the time will come when the reign of Nicolas Maduro comes to an end. Uh, And uh, we'll continue to stand with President Juan Guaido, we'll continue to stand with freedom-loving people in Venezuela and across our hemisphere until that day comes. China, this is you in a speech
0: last autumn. Our leaders once hoped that economic engagement alone would transform China into a free society. And you know, I can attest to that, having served in the Reagan administration all those years ago, that is just exactly what we were hoping. Mm -hmm. And now we have President Xi who has tightened control. China has not followed the pattern of South Korea and Taiwan with economic growth leading to political freedom.
1: What went wrong? Well, when when the United States accepted uh, China's entrance into the World Trade Organization, that was the hope. History records that we believe that if we, if we invited China to be part of the world economic and trading system, that uh, as economic uh, liberty would expand in their nation, so would political liberty and all the ideals that we cherish. Uh, the reality is, though, as we've spoken very plainly in this administration the opposite has been largely true. That as, as, uh, as the president has said many times, we've essentially, we've essentially rebuilt China um, into, into the modern economic uh, nation that it is. Uh, and yet, in the midst of all of that, we've actually seen an increase uh, in repression in China, whether it be repression of religious liberty, political liberty. Um, the presence of of detention camps in the Xinjiang province, the jailing of Christian pastors around the country um, uh, and uh, at, uh, at the president's leadership, we've called China out on that. We've spoken very plainly uh, on those issues. The President made it very, very clear that it would be it would be difficult for us to make any progress in our trading relationship if um, if there was violence in Hong Kong uh, in the wake of uh, millions of people taking to the streets in Hong Kong, and the president has taken a strong stand on that, and we are uh, pleased that Hong Kong continues to be able to work through its issues in China with Hong Kong in a peaceable manner that respects the uh, human rights of all of those people that are rising up. But um, you know. What went wrong is that the West the West hoped for better and it didn't come about. And so what, what President Trump has done is say, well, first and foremost, we're going to set this economic relationship um, on, on, a, on a footing that's based on the principles of fairness and reciprocity. Um, now we're encouraged by the phase one deal with China uh, that is the beginning of setting right a trading relationship that when when we came into office, uh, fully half of our international trade deficit was with China. Um, the president was determined to change that, uh, and uh, the Phase One trade deal—not just dealing with the imbalance and including forty to fifty billion dollars in agriculture purchases, but also for the first time, dealing with intellectual property rights, which are rights that are actually spoken about in the Constitution of the United States. Uh, that. We're finally beginning to deal with issues uh, of of forced technology transfer, intellectual property theft. But it's just a beginning. And the president's made it very clear that we're going to continue to stand firm until we set this economic relationship uh, on a balanced footing. Uh, But at the same time, uh, we're going to continue to stand firm on behalf of American ideals. We're going to continue to speak out. Uh, on behalf of religious liberty we 're going to continue to speak out on behalf of political liberty and our hope is that by setting part of our relationship with China right, that we will also create a better relationship overall to encourage uh, encourage China to continue to move uh, toward recognizing all of those all of those principles that uh, that we cherish among the families of the nation across the West.
0: The coronavirus, have we achieved cooperation with the Chinese at all? Have we got CDC teams moving into China? What's, what's the state of play between us and the Chinese on the coronavirus?
1: Well, I know from very early in this process, um, uh, we've seen China exercise a higher degree of transparency uh, with the coronavirus than uh, than we saw uh, in in past instances. And we're cooperating with them fully. We've offered a broad range of assistance, um, and we'll continue to do so. The President spoke to President Xi not long ago, uh, reiterating our uh, availability to provide resources, support. CDC personnel, and, and, uh, and China knows that we stand ready to flow those resources at, at, uh, at a moment's notice. Um, but that being said, we, we, first and foremost, have taken unprecedented action to protect the health and well-being of the American people. Uh, the President took action to suspend air travel, uh, to uh, suspend access to the United States from people in the region not non-citizens of the United States back into our country. Uh, we immediately instigated a screening at five major airports across the country, and you all have seen the stories about quarantines. We've required people to participate uh, in quarantines to ensure that, that the coronavirus doesn't um, make its way uh, into the United States. We've had some manifestations there. Uh, the likelihood there will be more. Uh, but what you're going to see, Peter, is our administration is going to continue to take very strong action to protect uh, the well-being and health of the American people. Uh, And we're going to continue to be there, uh, not just for China, but South Korea and Italy. And any any request for assistance from the United States of America will be met uh, with the generosity of the American people.
0: Uh, Mr. Vice President, this administration cuts taxes. You lower the corporate tax rate from 35 to 21 percent. That goes into effect on January 1st, 2018. A couple of quarters later, we're up at 3.5% growth. Into the first quarter of this year, we're still at 3%. And now it's dropped back to 2%. How disappointed, how worried, how concerned should we be?
1: Well, Peter, I um, I think one thing that's obvious any time you travel around this country is the American economy is booming. And it's booming because we have a president, and we had partners in the Congress that believed that um, less taxes, less regulation, unleashing American energy, and free and fair trade uh, would turn loose the uh, incredible potential of the American economy, and it's worked. I mean, more than seven million jobs created, wages are rising at their fastest pace in uh, more than ten years, unemployment's at a fifty-year low. And um, uh, we, we just have every confidence that, uh, that uh, the economy is going to continue to grow on the basis of those fundamental principles of free market economics being put into practice. And um, uh, I, I do think, you know, you, you listen to some of the commentary on the other side, um, Democrats running for president, um, talking about how the economy is not working. I, I got to tell you, I mean, it kind of reminds me of what Groucho Marx said one time, which was Who are you going to believe, me or your own eyes? I mean, I mean, I mean um, by the way,
0: this man. is, you've got a lot of Californians in this audience, and you took away their. You you capped their state and local tax deduction at a very low level by their standards. And I can tell from their faces they're enjoying listening to you, but you know they're all a little poorer because of you. (laughs) Is there anything you'd like to say, any apology you'd like to offer?
1: You know, it's uh, the the tax reform package that we did was really designed to, in in so many ways, um, not only unleash the full potential of the American economy, but really level level the playing field around the country. And we think it has. We really think it has. And, uh, and I've got to say, the American people know it, too, Peter. I, I, my wife and I stole away for a spring break uh, last year. For, we had a day and a half on the beach at Sanibel Island in Florida, which um, it's on the West Coast. The, We've heard of it. Yeah. The Z- zero Paul. income tax state. That, that's the sort of yeah, thing our people it is, know. A zero yes. income tax state. So we were, down, we were down, and we were on the beach, and we had ball caps on and sunglasses. And I love to tell the story. These two big boys, who'd read in the paper that we were there, these two big boys wearing Budweiser shirts came walking by. And this one fellow looks at me, and he says, hey, you're Pence. I said, yes, I am. And he said, listen, you've got to tell the president to keep doing what he's doing. Because he said, I made twice as much money last year as I made the year before. And I told him, I'm going to tell him exactly what you said. <laughs> And then he took two steps away with a warm smile on his face and turned back around and said, and I don't know what you do, but keep doing what you're doing, too. <laughs> and I told him I would. <laughs> it's true. The American people know it. I mean, everywhere I go around the country, there's a sense of enthusiasm. There's, kids are graduating from college and finding work in the area they're trained. I mean, the economy is booming, to quote our friend Larry Kudlow. It's a booming American economy, and and, and it is. I, I know that President Obama has, for some reason, taken credit for it in the last few weeks. But I I think everybody knows that from the day that election was over in 2016, we saw the American economy take off. And then when this president delivered on his promises for less taxes, less regulation, uh, unleashing American energy, free and fair trade, the American people made the difference.
0: I don't need to remind a man who's won as many elections as you have of this. But, cardinal rule of politics, voters don't cast their ballots to say thank you. They vote for candidates based on what they think the candidates are going to do for them next. So the economy is booming, but you've you've cut taxes already. What's the pitch? Why should the American people vote to give Donald Trump and Mike Pence four more years?
1: Well, I, th- I think the answer is that the best is yet to come. This, this is a president who believes that we're literally just getting started in-, in exploring the full potential, not only of the American economy, but of, uh, I mean, think about it, over 190 conservatives appointed to our federal courts at every level, including two Supreme Court justices. Um, I mean, it is a record number of judges to the courts of appeals of any administration in history. And, and the, the president, if you go back to a speech that he gave to the New York Economic Club, Peter, in the fall of 2016, and, and this is a president, for all the progress that we have made, for the, all the good things that are happening in this economy, that's just what President Trump calls a good start. It's, it's one of the reasons where you're, you're, you see this president calling on our agencies to continue to find red tape that we can clear out of the way without compromising the health and safety, well-being, or environment of this country. Clear it out of the way so businesses, large and small, can create jobs. We're already working, our economic team, already working on tax cuts 2.0. This is a president who's who's engaging um, nations around the world for new trade deals. We've begun with China. We have a ways to go. Phase one is just the beginning. Uh, But we've made it very clear to the U.K. Now that Brexit is over, we're going to work with them as soon as they work out their details with the E.U. We're ready to do a free trade agreement with the U.K. We're ready to do a free trade agreement with the E.U. Uh, We're already in discussions with Japan for a free trade agreement. This is a president who believes you bring all these principles to bear, you get four more years, uh, and you just watch. You just watch this economy roll. You watch America grow stronger. Uh, more prosperous uh, than ever before. And uh, that's the message we're going to take to the American people. Got it. Campaign coming up, African-Americans. You and the president
0: received about 8 percent of the black vote. The economy is growing. Black unemployment is down to historically low levels. And your support among African-Americans has shot up to 10 percent. You represent the party of Lincoln. Is there Anything you can do, is there any plan in prospect during this campaign to reaching out to that 11, 12 percent of the country that for years now has simply not been interested in the GOP?
1: Well, first and foremost, thanks, thanks for mentioning uh, I mean, the, the first Republican president, our 16th president, um, proved the point that our, our party was born around the principle of equality of opportunity. And, and, and this president has brought the exact same approach to this administration. We want to create an economy that works for every American, and it's working. Uh, it isn't historic levels, just as you said. I'll put a fine point on it. You have the lowest unemployment level ever recorded for African Americans. Uh, I'll, I'll never forget, uh, when I, back when I was in the Congress, we had a conference in, in, in Baltimore, Maryland. Mm-hmm. And I went down to a homeless shelter before we had the Republican Retreat Conference. And I met with a bunch of local activists, largely African-American families. And this one dad looked at me, and he said, he was about my age, and he said, uh, he said, Mike, it's not like when we were growing up. And I said, well, tell me how. And he says, there's just no jobs. He said, he said our, our kids come out of high school, there's, there's nowhere to go to work. And, and I have to tell you, in, Whatever the latest polls show, I don't know. I, I'm hearing every day uh, from from African-American families that are coming up and saying, thank you. Tell this president it's working. We're opening doors of opportunity, uh, not just for African-Americans, but for every American. But in particular, we're seeing real impact. Lowest unemployment level ever recorded for Latino-Americans as well. I mean, the the, the economy is working. We've got a, we've got a, a program for opening doors now 15 million apprentice and internship positions. Maybe maybe some of the companies uh, uh, that that are represented here by these prominent Americans are part of this, part of the president's initiative to, to make sure that we've got people coming into the economy and have an opportunity to get the background and training and skills they need uh, to fill the jobs that are opening up in this economy. But there's two other areas that I think are particularly meaningful that the president's uh, made progress on and is committed to, uh, first was, on, in the progress category, was criminal justice reform. Uh, we, we had done criminal justice reform when I was governor of Indiana. Texas had done it before us. Uh, but Congress was never able to reform the federal system with uh, the principles of, of second chance uh, that, that had been. Um, spoken about on Capitol Hill advocated by people left, right, and center to allow people to earn the right to have an education to earn the right um, to, uh, uh, to a more just system. And President Trump got it done. Literally, I, in my time at the, in the Senate, I was there, I was able to speak to them on the president's behalf about, about what his vision was for criminal justice reform. And the first step act was signed into law. And it, 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 in so many ways, corrected some inequities that had been set into the law back during the Clinton administration. But one administration after another had never been able to move the Congress to change them. And it's really resonated in the African-American community. The president uh, did uh, an event in uh, Las Vegas just the other day. Um, I think it was entitled um, Prisoners of Hope but it was people who were graduating from vocational programs that were getting a second chance and a fresh start in life. I met with a group of pastors in the community that's working um, with, with local law enforcement and, and people in the prison system. And you're seeing, you're seeing real results. You're seeing recidivism rates drop. You're seeing lives changed. So that's made a connection. And the last thing I will tell you is, and, and people in the African-American community know this, We have a president who believes that parents ought to be able to choose where their children go to school, whether it's public, private, parochial, or homeschool. And we're going to be champions for school choice. Yeah. Uh, I was in uh, Milwaukee during School Choice Week with our amazing Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos. We were in uh, uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where literally the governor in Pennsylvania, just vetoed a bill that would have that would have opened educational choice scholarships to 50,000 students, and there's an immense waiting list in Pennsylvania today. And I spoke at a, I spoke at a, a wonderful Catholic school. There's 90 percent minority kids. They spoke 40 languages at this school, and, and yet the educational attainment and outcomes at the school are remarkable. But but um, the African American community has has in my own experience back in Indiana, where we doubled the size of our school choice program when I was governor. Um, The African American community has been ahead of the curve in support of school choice uh, now for decades. And frankly, it's because so many African American families uh, face educational um, outcomes in some of our most failing and dangerous schools. And it's those families that have been clamoring uh, for the opportunity, like here in the District of Columbia, uh, to choose where their children go to school. And um, so we're, that's, that's another area that I know, Peter, that, that, that uh, w- we're building support every day um, because this is a president who says what he means and means what he says. He wants equality of opportunity, wants to open doors of opportunity for every American. And, and, and African-Americans are seeing real results in jobs and opportunity and reforms. Uh, and educational educational opportunities the kids
0: among uh, americans thirty five and under only thirty eight percent give this administration an, a positive approval rating. Why do the
1: kids belong to Bernie well i don't i don 't think they do. I meet a lot of young people around this country who believe in freedom and uh, and are grateful for the progress that we've made under this president's leadership. I I really do. But I will tell all of you here in the Hoover Institution, such a legendary place, and you've been such a vanguard of liberty for so long. Um, I'll I'll, I'll challenge all of you. I think it's not gonna be enough for us just to win the next election. We've got to win the next generation. We've got to go out and tell the story. I mean, I mean, to think that uh, as many young people as there are being taken in by socialism, by the, the, the empty and hollow promises of, uh, of, of socialist philosophy is really remarkable to me. And, but I think it's incumbent on us to, to tell freedom's story and also to tell socialism's story. I mean, to, to be out there to make the historical, the economic, and the moral case against socialism. And we'll be doing that. I promise you the president and I will be traveling across the country doing that. But I encourage all of the prominent Americans gathered here, everybody associated with Hoover Institution, to take up that challenge. Because I, I, I will tell you, this is, I have three kids in, in their 20s. Um, I'll have all three of them married off by this spring, which is good. Good progress, but, um, but um, I, I know this generation of millennials, and they are a freedom-loving generation. I mean, when you and I were growing up, and we heard a song on the radio we liked, we just hoped to remember the name of the song so we could go down to the record store and thumb through the albums to see if we could find the, the record, right? Now what do kids do? They hear a song they like, they get their phone out, type it in, download it, and buy it. I mean, this is this, this, there's young, the idea that young people today um, could be sold on a system of health care that would allow government bureaucrats to make decisions about the most important um, issues in their life and in the life of their families is unthinkable. They are, this is a freedom-loving generation. I think if we convey it that way, if we explain to people that the free market is the best pathway toward uh, prosperity and um, and the best path pass- pathway to outcomes. Oh, we can win the argument. We have history on our side, and um, and so I I just whether it be Medicare for all, the Green New Deal, or if they just flat out call it socialism the way Bernie does. We have got to take the case of freedom straight at socialism. And, and I have every confidence that, as president and I make that case, as people across this country make that case, we're gonna, we're not only going to have a victory for our team uh, in the fall of 2020, we're going to have another victory for freedom in 2020.
0: A couple of — you've been very generous with your time. And you're a lovely guy. But you have a couple of members on your staff who are going to give it to me right in the neck if I don't wrap this. A couple of last questions. <laughs> actually this is this is take this one as fast as you want to but it's an important question well return to china really briefly our population 325 million our average growth rate over the last decade between 2 and 3% the people's republic of china 1.4 billion their average growth rate over the last decade something like 8% even if you don't believe the official figures it's tremendous right, right. they're more populous Their economy may soon be bigger than ours. They possess a central authority which is ugly in all kinds of ways but can get certain things done. And we have a 230-year-old constitution. Honestly, when you think of the long-term struggle and this administration's national security document calls China an adversary, this is the first time this has
1: happened, honestly, are you optimistic I'm, I'm, uh, I'm absolutely optimistic, because I think that we, we have a president um, who understands the boundless capacity of the American people and, and sees a boundless future for our country if we will just continue to hew to the principles and the ideals that, frankly, are enshrined in that constitution. Um, and, and we'll continue to inspire the world. Look, we're, we are, uh, at minimum, we're in a great power competition with China. And in, in my judgment, in the last 25 years, it hasn't been going in a direction favorable to our long-term interests. I mean, in, Increasingly, we, we've given them access to our economy with limited access to their economy. We've seen them take the trade surpluses and invest them in a military build-up. The Space Force that we just created, which um, is the first new branch of our armed forces in 75 years. Um, and we continue, we have, we're, we're dominant in space today as much as we are um, on land and sea and air. But the truth is that China actually established a similar agency a few short years ago. and so. In my judgment, things were not going in the right direction before for the long-term interests of the United States. But with the president putting America first, rebuilding our military, reviving the American economy, um, and embracing his role as leader of the free world, engaging leaders around the world, including President Xi, in ways that are candid, but demand the kind of change that the American people expect. I, I I have every confidence that we're going to we're going to have a future brighter than any of us could possibly imagine. Last that's question. the story. That's the choice we got to take to the American people in this election. Last question it really is. Last question It's very easy
0: to imagine an alternative life for Mike Pence. Think of Paul Ryan. He's out of Washington. He's Teaching at Notre Dame, he sits on a board. Your friend, Mitch Daniels, is running Purdue. He sits on corporate boards. Doing a great job. Uh, Notre Dame, Purdue, these are great institutions. They're both back home in Indiana. They are. Instead, you're committed to a campaign in which you're about to embark on months of 18 and 20 hour days during which you will be insulted, called names, and accused of undermining everything from the Constitution of the United States
1: to the Christian faith. What are you doing? What keeps you in this game? Well, my first reaction is, so what else is new? Um, Right. Um, I think, uh, number one, it's it's. um, um, it, it, It really has been an extraordinary privilege for me. To be part of an administration to serve alongside a president that's accomplished so much in such a short period of time for the American people. I mean, I, I, I have to tell you, I served for 12 years in the Congress. I served four years as governor of the state of Indiana. Uh, but when the call came, I, I joined this ticket in a heartbeat because I sensed that we were an important moment um, in the life of the nation. That another eight years of welfare state, Big government policies, high taxes, more regulation, an internationalist view that saw America as just another country in the world, uh, I thought would set our nation on a path that we might not be able to come back from. And what I heard in, in our candidate in 2016, and I've seen every day as his vice president, is someone who believes in the American people. And believes in this country and, and believes in the the principles of freedom and free markets and the liberties enshrined in our constitution and limited government and, the, and, um, and whether it be court appointments, whether it be economic reforms, whether it be rebuilding our military, has just hewn America back. I mean, when he used that phrase, make America great again, he it was clear to me from Early on, that he had, he had a clear vision in his mind of what that was. And that was an, an America strong and prosperous and free and, and leading the free world. And uh, for me to be, have been able to be a part of that, um, I, I can tell you any, uh, you know, the criticism comes with the territory when you're in public life. My wife and I have been involved for a while. Um, but to, to have been a part of an administration that's delivered so much for the American people and can still deliver so much more if we keep our nation on the path of freedom and free markets and, and, and the principles enshrined in our Constitution is, it, it, uh, it, any criticism that comes with it, I, as the old book says, I count it all joy. Ladies um, and gentlemen, the Vice President of the United States. Thanks.